Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bridgewater. You guys aren't very, you guys aren't very alive. What's the deal? Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you for the woohoo, whoever that was. Appreciate it. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, we're excited to be able to jump into God's word with you here today. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series called Asking for a Friend, and this is a pretty interesting series. We, we talked about last week uh, a few supposed questions that maybe your friend might ask, and some of you gave me a hard time for the Taylor Swift uh, question last week. Last week, I would not ask that. Come on, I'm not interested in going to a Taylor Swift concert. Ah, oh, man. Anyway, uh, we all have questions in reality that that we would like to ask, but we're mildly embarrassed to ask if we're honest. And sometimes the questions are more than just an embarrassing question. Sometimes they're, they're, they're just impossible to get out. Today we're going to talk about something that I know that you have struggled with. I, I'm confident that every single one of us in this room have struggled with this because it's, it's part of the human experience. In fact, before I give you the question, I'm going to give you the subject that we're going to talk about today. Okay, The subject is doubt. Have you ever wrestled with doubt? Now, just bear with me for a second. Stuff like this, like, ah, did I make the right purchase? Ever done that? Anybody ever had buyer's remorse? You know, you're, you're so sure you walk into the car dealership. It's beautiful. It runs great. Oh, it sounds great, Right? And then as soon as it's time to get out the check, but wait, people don't use checkbooks anymore. As soon as it's time to, uh, you know, pay, and you drive away, and you realize, what did I just do? <laughs> Ever felt that? Can we be honest about that for a second? Yep. Um, we, we just moved here a couple of months ago, spent a couple of months in the process of buying a home. That's a lot of fun. And then you, you, yeah, then you sign yourself over for X amount of years. Ever had that kind of doubt? Like, did I do the right thing? See, I, I know you've struggled with doubt. I've struggled with doubt. Did I, did I make the right turn? Sometimes it's as simple as like when you're following directions. Did I make the right turn? Um, sometimes it's stuff like, did I... Did I take the right job? Am I in the right place? Sometimes it's a little um, more difficult. It's like, was it smart for me to comment on my wife's dress? <laughs> right? Some of you are feeling me very, very real this morning. <laughs> but then the reality is, that most of those are pretty easy to work through, and unfortunately, there are some doubts, some questions, that aren't nearly as easy to work through. There are some ones that can make us begin to question more than just whether or not it was a, a wise decision. They can make us begin to feel shame. Have you ever felt that? There are some questions and some doubts that 
we can begin to feel ashamed of the fact that we're even wrestling with them. Here's what I mean. Um, There are certain doubts and things that creep up that we won't even talk about because we realize if we start to talk about them, maybe our family is going to get so upset with us because you just weren't raised that way. How can you question that? You know, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just wonder, ever, ever felt that? You know? Some of the things that you were raised with or some of the things that you held on to or you thought you believed so deeply and then little by little over time, you begin to go, wait a minute, could that be wrong? And today what I want to wrestle with is this question, what are you supposed to do when you aren't sure you can keep believing what you used to believe? What do you do when you aren't sure that what you've believed for a long time or maybe even a short amount of time but you become very convinced that you were were convinced that it was real and now you're starting to have doubts and you're starting to have questions. What do you do when you start to have doubts and questions and you aren't sure that you can keep believing what you used to believe? Or let me put it like this, can you keep following God and wrestle with doubts? Can you follow God and have doubts or questions or fears about whether or not you have it right? And then there are passages of scripture too that we can read and it kind of feels like, well man, those people surely didn't have doubts. In fact, I'm going to show you one here in a minute It seems like when you read it, they didn't have doubts. And then you compare that to you, and it it all comes together into this thing that feels very shameful and and fearful. And it's like, who who am I? What's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? I, I don't seem to have this right. But here's the reality. The reality is that a good number of people who are trying to follow God or maybe have questions about following God or, or even do openly say, I'm, I want to learn about following God. The reality is that when we start talking to people like that, we find that very many people have questions and doubts. See, I came across a survey recently, uh, a survey that was done in, in the year 2017 by the Barna Research Group, and they asked this question, have you ever experienced a time of spiritual doubt when you questioned what you believed about your religion or about God? They were, they were asking people who were self-identified Christ followers, okay? And so if you're, if you're new to this thing and you don't even know what that is, that's okay, but But this question was posed to people who said, I'm trying to follow Jesus. And they said, have you ever wrestled with doubt? Well, here's the reality. Two-thirds of people who are self-identified followers of Christ have wrestled with doubts and struggled with whether or not it was real. Look at this. 26% said, yes, I still do. 40% said, yes, but I worked through it. And, and only one-third of people, and I'll be honest with you, those one-third, I would say, well, just wait. Just wait. You, you probably will wrestle with doubts about whether or not what you believe is true and can be believed, can be true. In other words, two-thirds 
of self-identifying Christians have wrestled with doubts, according to this survey. And one out of every four Christians are still actively pursuing doubts. And then, we, like I said before, we come across these passages that make it look so simple. Something like what we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, this is not the, the passage I'm going to camp in. We're going to camp today in the book of Genesis, okay? And so if, if you want to look someplace for yourself, I would tell you open up to the beginning of, of your Bible, the first chapter. We'll start in chapter, chapter 12 and 15 and, 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 and the story of Abraham. But in the New Testament, when we read about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, look at what it says. It says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed, right? He obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. In other words, God showed up and said, Abraham, go someplace. And he just said, cool, let's go. And if you read this all by itself, it makes it sound like Abraham never struggled. Now, I don't know if you've read the Genesis account, but it doesn't line up exactly with this. That doesn't mean we can't trust Hebrews 11. I'll show you. Look at what else goes on in Hebrews 11, okay? By faith, he made his home in the promised land. And like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac, which, by the way, was his son, and then Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. It goes on in verse 10, and it says this, For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying he believed that God made a promise to him and God would keep his promise. Okay? Verse 11, and by faith, Sarah, that's his wife. Was Sarah the same? Did she never have doubts? Did she never struggle? Did she never question God? Well, and by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Wait a minute. Is that the same as what we read in, in Genesis? Did Sarah ever struggle with doubts? Hmm. Verse 12, and so from this one man, and he, this is a great description, if you ever want a description of you, from one man, and he as good as dead. <laughs> That's just a fancy way of saying he was really old, okay? So if anybody ever says that of you, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> now my kids are probably going to say that about me, but you know. One man, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. And if you, all you ever read is Hebrews 11, you think Abraham and Sarah never struggled, never doubted, never questioned, never feared. All they did was just, ah, God is good all the time. I don't know about you, but my walk, my walk with God and my life doesn't look like Hebrews 11 all the time. How about you? I wrestle with the questions 
the questions of doubt and fear. And, but God, you said, and it feels different than what you said. And if you've ever wrestled with that, then you need to take the time to look at the full story of Abraham and Sarah and see what really did happen. Hebrews 11, that did happen. They did eventually live by faith, but I'm going to tell you they struggled along the way to get there. And if we look at the full story, there are two things that I think will happen for you here today. Number one, you will receive encouragement in the midst of your doubts. That's good. I realize that, that there are people who showed up here today and you have doubts and you wonder, like, can I really believe this? So when we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, I believe you're going to receive encouragement here today. Number two, you're going to see a pathway forward through your doubts. I want to show you those two things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through the story of Abraham and Sarah. And along the way, you're going to see two pieces of encouragement. Okay, there's two truths that we can take and cling to. And then third, I'm going to show you the pathway Abraham and Sarah took so that hopefully you and I can latch onto it and follow it as well. So let's look at the account of the life of Abraham and Sarah. See, the story of Abraham and Sarah starts in Genesis 11. You read just a very, very short bit about Abraham. You learn about his lineage. You learn that Abraham is the son of Terah, and Terah lived in a land called Haran, and in Haran he worshipped many false gods. And God one day shows up and talks to Abraham in the midst of all of this, not in the midst of people who, who loved the one true God. Abraham didn't have a great background, you know. He lived in an idol-worshipping community, and God shows up and says, Abraham, or excuse me, at that time his name was Abram. He says, Abraham, Abram, you are to go to a land. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you how to get there. I'm not even going to tell you the name of it. You just go there, and when you get there, I'll let you know, and I am going to do great things through you. Look, Genesis 12. So what did, what did Abram do? Abram went, as the Lord told him. And Lot, now who is Lot? Lot is his nephew, okay? Now God had originally told Abram, listen, you go, just you and your wife Sarai, her name was Sarai at the time, get up and go. But unfortunately, something was going on with Abram and he decided to take his nephew Lot with him. Why? I don't know. The scripture doesn't explain it all. I'm not going to read into something that's not there, but I just wonder if in the back of his mind, Abram was thinking, God promised me descendants. If God never gives me descendants, maybe Lot can be my descendant and I can establish this family through him. The interesting thing is that at every turn, when Abram took Lot with him, at every turn, Lot causes problems. Isn't that interesting? You ever experienced that? That like when God makes something clear to us that we should do, and then we, we kind of obey, we obey to a degree, and then you know there's that part that you're supposed to do, but you're like, but God, you don't understand. That's too hard. I don't want to do that. And, and you kind of hedge your bet a little bit, and you don't fully obey. And then that little bit causes you problem after problem after problem. Ever felt that? Whew. I have. So Abram starts out, and he's not really all in. But I will tell you, I commend him. He goes. 
Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So you get an idea of how old he is. Now, let me, let me unpack what God promised to him really quick before we read more. God promised him three things. He promised him land. You're going to go to a land, and I will tell you I will give it to you. When you get there, I'm going to show you all the land. It will be for you and for your descendants. Second, he promised him descendants or seed. He promised him that you would have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on that would number greater than the sands of the seashore. Third, he promised him blessing. He said, I will bless you, and everyone who blesses you, I will bless them through you. And, and he promised to do great things through Abram. So Abram got up, and he obeyed. Seventy-five years old. Imagine with me, Abram has no kids at 75 years old, and God promised you a family. How you feeling right now? Now, remember, people were living a little bit longer back then, okay? Abram lived to be about 160 years old, okay? So things were a little bit different, but still, 75. I mean, at this point, to put it in perspective, Abram is approaching 50 in our years. By the way, you're going to have kids. (laughs) Some of you are like, don't touch me. (laughs) Right? Can you imagine that? 75 years old, you're going to have kids. So what happened? Verse 5, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and then they arrived there. It seems like everything's going well. Abram's obeying. Now they're in the land. But some time starts to pass. And before you know it, it's been 5, 10, 15 years. And they still don't have kids. After 15 years, Abram spent time, I mean, Genesis 13 and 14 describe Abram and Sarai going down to Egypt, which is a whole nother thing because they go into Egypt, and Abram got scared because his wife was so beautiful, so he told her to lie, that she was actually his sister, so that nobody would kill him in order to get her. It caused all kinds of problems. You see Abram struggling with obeying and Believing, that doesn't quite sound like Hebrews 11. Then we make our way to Genesis 15. And now it's been 15 years. Abram's 90 years old. Sarai is about 81 years old. And they started to question. In Genesis 15, we read this. It says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, Abram's talking to God, hey, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Eliezer, this is the first time we hear about him, but he was a servant in Abram's household. He was the the next, you know, young man kind of in the family in line to take over. And so Abraham's looking at it at 90 and he's going, if I die, Eliezer is the only descendant. And God, I thought you promised me. See, that's the crux of it, isn't it? God, I thought 
you promised me. But God, you said, and then when it doesn't come on our, our time frame, we start to question and wonder. And if you're anything like me, I start to come up with my own ways to fix the problem. Ever done that? Hey, God, I got a suggestion. This, is, this might be the way you could do it. And it seems to me as if that's what Abraham and Sarai started to do. They started to go, wait a minute. We have this young man, Eliezer. Lot's out of the picture. You know, Lot is causing all kinds of trouble. He's down in Sodom and getting into all kinds of trouble. And his wife ends up dying and turning into a, it's a, it's a whole story, turning into a pillar of salt. And then this kind of really troublesome situation with Lot and his daughters. I mean, it is really crazy. So Abram's looking at it going, all I have is Eleazar. God, I have a solution. He started to take God out of the equation. Now here's the thing. Here's the first piece of encouragement for you. Doubt is dangerous when? It's not always dangerous, okay? I, I want to I make that clear. Doubt is dangerous when it takes God out of the equation. When we start trying to figure it out on our own without God, when we start trying to go, hey, God, I can fix this. I don't need you. You promised, but now I've got my own way to do it. When we start taking God out of the equation, it gets really, really dangerous. Look at what happens in Genesis 15. In verse 3, Abram said, You've given me no children. God, you promised, but you haven't delivered. So I've got my own solution. A servant in my household is to be my heir. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord comes back to him. So God says, hey, let's have a chat, Abram. The word of the Lord comes back to him, and he says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God says, don't take me out of the equation. I made you a promise. I will keep it. This is the beauty of our doubts. That in the midst of them, God is up to something. God is up to something in the midst of the difficulty and the pain, the, the question marks, the wonder, the God I thought you said, but this. God is up to something. And the minute we start taking him out of the equation, that's when it gets dangerous. See, your doubt alone is not dangerous. Your doubt without God is what is dangerous. When we start looking to other solutions, when I start thinking that I can answer my own prayers and fix my own problems, that's when it gets dangerous. So God took Abram outside and he said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars. Isn't it beautiful when you go outside at night? Did anybody see the launching of the satellite last night? Did you guys hear about this? There was like a, or not satellite, it was SpaceX, I mean. Yeah, SpaceX uh, sent up, I believe, I guess, a, a satellite or something, and it just lit up the sky. And then you see all of these stars, right? God took him outside. He said, look at all of these. Count them if you want. That is the number of descendants that you will have. 
God says, I'm here, I'm not gone, I'm not out of the equation, don't count me out, don't forget me. So what did Abram do? In the midst of his doubts, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of wondering what was going to happen, Genesis 15, 6 sets the standard for us. There, God told him, don't count me out, and Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham said, okay, okay, I don't see it, I don't get it yet, but I believe you. Do not take God out of the equation. And it would seemed to me that when I read this, when I read verse 6, it would seem that everything was just settled in Abram's mind, right? He's never going to struggle with doubt or wrestle with questions anymore, but you don't have to read very far before you figure out, no, he still struggled with it. In fact, chapter 16, look at what happens. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. How, what, what's going on here? They're getting older. In fact, at this point, Abram is about 99 years old, and Sarah is about 90. You guys do the math, carry the one. It's not going to go well, (laughs) having children. And so Sarah starts to question again. She starts to doubt. She starts to wonder. So Abram's, Abram's wife, Sarah, had borne him no children, but she came up with another solution. Look at this. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, if you've never heard the story of of, of Hagar and and what occurs, this is an incredible story, and, and there's all sorts of distractions in our culture. But you need to know that in their culture, it was a very normal thing that if a woman could not bear a child, they could have a surrogate. We have surrogates today. The, the difference is we just have ways of doing that that, that weren't quite the same uh, as back then, if you follow what I'm saying, okay? So this was a very culturally acceptable thing. And yet it's not what God promised them. God told them, I will give you children. I will take care of you. And they struggled So verse 2 then tells us what Sarah says to Abram. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. Look at at where she's putting, putting the blame. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, first of all, Abram needs to wake up and be like, stop, bad idea, right? But the reality is he didn't. Why? He was struggling with doubts. He was doing the same thing that you and I do. He was wrestling with, okay, what's going on? God, can I come up with my own way? And so he did. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. The reality is the minute that we take God out of the equation, then our doubts get dangerous. Now, it would be really easy for, for me to look at this story and see what happens next because Abraham, Abram carries it out. He goes and, and he, he, he gets Hagar pregnant and it gets all kinds of crazy and they have a child named Ishmael and, and it, it goes downhill quickly. It would be easy for me to think that would be the point where God says, that's it, 
I'm out, I want nothing to do with this anymore. In fact, I'm sure that they felt like God was distant and quiet at this point. The truth is, in the midst of our doubts, it's easy for us to begin to feel like God is distant, right? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, do you hear me? God, are you ever going to move? God, are you ever going to do what you said you would do? Where are you? And here's the reality. God was not distant in their doubts, and he is not distant in your doubts. He's up to something. That's the second encouragement that I want to give you. Whatever you are wrestling through right now, even if you're not sure that there is a God or, 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 or a creator who cares about you, I want you to know he is not distant. In fact, he shows back up in the midst of one of the biggest problems in Abram and Sarai's life. He shows back up at this point, and he says, okay, I see it. You've made a mess of this. Guess what? I'm still going to work. I'm still going to take care of you. Look at what happens. Back in, in, in Genesis, uh, and now moving on to chapter 17, God comes back to them and, and speaks to them. Says this, God said, also said to Abram, as far as Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Well, here, here's why. I will bless her and I will surely give her, verse, verse 16, I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of many nations. He's there. He's telling them, hey, don't give up. I'm still here. I made you that promise. I'm going to keep that promise. I'm still here. Kings of peoples will come from her. Verse 17. So what did Abram do? He fell face down. He laughed. It's an interesting word that he laughed. I'm not sure I can tell you exactly what it means when it says he laughed. I don't know if he's laughing like, (laughs) whatever, God, or if he's laughing like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be 100 years old, and you're telling me I'm going to be a dad? I I don't know what it was like, but the reality is Abraham is struggling with doubt, and now he says, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And God says, yep, yep. So Abram responds to him in verse, seven, or verse 18, and he says this. He said to God, if only Ishmael may live under your blessing. We already have a child. We already have Ishmael. Please, just let Ishmael be the one. I can't see a pathway forward where a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have a child. And God says, great, that's my specialty. When you can't see a pathway forward, that is God's specialty. Verse 19, then God said, yes, I will bless Ishmael, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. 
but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Wow. In one year, you'll have a child. So what happened? Abram's 99, Sarah's 90. In a year, they were promised a child. You have to skip over to chapter 21 to see what happens a year later. In chapter 21, in verse 1, here's what it says. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And then verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham and Sarah wrestled with doubt the entire way. That story sounds a little bit different than Hebrews says, right? But do you know what the book of Hebrews accounts for us? It accounts for us the truth of what the pathway forward was for Abraham and Sarah. See, along the way, they learned to trust God. Along the way, they learned faith. Along the way, they saw that God was faithful. But they had to go through the bumps in the road, and they had to wrestle through the doubts, and they had to walk through those times of questioning to be able to learn who God was and what the pathway forward looked like. See, here's the pathway forward through our doubts. Many, many of us think that the pathway through our, forward through our doubts is to walk away from God and figure it out on our own. But I will tell you, that is not the pathway forward. The pathway forward through our doubts is faith. Because faith is not the absence of doubt, but it is the means to push through our doubt. It's the means to say, I see it. It's a mess. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. I just know that God is good and God made a promise. And, and I, I wish I, I could get it fixed right now, but I am going to trust him and believe that he will hear me and take care of me. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's just a willingness to keep trusting. If you've wrestled with doubts like that, man, I want you to know that you are not the only one. In fact, I want to show you by sharing with you a testimony from one of our very own pastors here at Bridgewater, Bob Catalizic. Would you watch? I asked God to forgive me and made Jesus my Lord and Master as a, as a child, but when I was about 20 years old, I thought, you know, there's billions of people on earth and most were taught and believed something totally different than what I was taught to believe. What are the chances I was taught the truth? And some quick math, it was clear that there was a low probability that what I believed was true. And so I began to look into what others believed. I read the Bhagavad Gita, researched Shintoism, Hinduism, Buddhism. I got a free copy of the Book of Mormon, researched Islam, and got an English copy of the Quran. None of them were backed up historically like the Bible was. Certain forms of Eastern religions actually rejected logic and physical reality entirely. They just didn't stack up intellectually like ancient Christianity and the Bible do. But 
the religion or belief system that was actually most attractive to me was agnosticism and atheism. Agnosticism is um, believing that we're not sure God exists, and atheism is, of course, that there is no God. And, and that's actually what I wanted to believe because it meant I could live however I wanted. And I wanted intellectual permission to be free to live, especially sexually, how I desired. Agnosticism and atheism gave me that permission. But it was so irrational because, you know, to believe such incredibly complex systems of life could arise by chance, that something could come out of nothing. I mean, in the end, I just didn't have the faith to be an atheist. I wanted to, I, I just didn't have that much faith. So I, I chose the belief system that required the least amount of faith, had the most scientific, historical, logical evidence for it, and that was Christianity. And you know that sexual freedom that I, as a young man, so desired to have permission to pursue? I've since found out that that was slavery, addiction, a trap that has ruined the lives of millions of men and women, including many of my friends. So I'm here to tell you, doubt is good. The truth is not afraid of being questioned. And in fact, I wish I would have reached out to someone because all those questionings, I kept that to myself. I didn't talk to anybody and I wish I had because faith that has not been questioned and challenged is a blind faith, weak faith, and foolish faith. And asking questions is a good thing. The problem with most people who don't believe the Bible is not that they ask too many questions. It's that they've stopped asking questions and stopped looking for answers, especially in places they don't want to find them. So you see with Abraham and Sarah, Hebrews gives us the end result of their willingness to keep working through it. Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that all of this accomplished. And to agree, to a degree, that's very, very true. But what we didn't read is the first couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 and starting in verse 1, we read this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what Abraham did was they decided to keep going back to God to keep asking. Did they falter along the way? Yes. Can you and I on occasion? Yes. But I wonder if in the midst of your doubt, if you would be willing to say, I am going to keep going back to God. See, faith isn't the absence of doubt. It's the pathway through it's how we push through and we keep going. And like Bob said, one of the major problems is that we tend to struggle with doubt on our own. I, I mentioned a study earlier done by Barna. And one of the things that they talked about is they found that many, many people wrestled with doubt on their own. And when they wrestled with doubt on their own, most of them didn't end up in good places. People who wrestled with doubt with a, a small group of people that they could be honest with, they were able to push through. But those without 
support, it didn't go well. Let me, let me show you one quote from their study. It says this. For those without the support of a robust spiritual community, however, doubt can take its toll. For instance, of those who self-identified as Christian but did not attend church, they were unchurched, only one-third, or 34%, came out the other side of spiritual doubt, feeling that their faith had be, been reinforced. In other words, two-thirds of people really kind of walked away from God if they did it on their own. 20% gave up a faith in God completely. This unchurched group, it goes on, this unchurched group um, also reported the highest percentage of those claiming to have lost their faith entirely, 20%. So here's my point. I do not want to see you wrestle alone. You are not the only one coming up with answers and figuring it out on your own. You don't have to do that. In fact, I would invite you to do one of two things or, or, or two things with me. The first would be sitting here today, take that card that's right in front of you. Please, if you are wrestling with doubt, put your name on it and tell us. Just write a note, Sam. I'm re- all you gotta say is doubt or wrestling with doubt. And here's what I'm gonna do. This week, I'm gonna send you a study that you can do on your own. Here's the name of the study. It's a version Bible plan. It's very simple. It's a seven-day Bible plan called Permission to Doubt. That's all it is. You can walk through it on your own. Or you can talk to somebody in a small group. You can talk to me, and I'll connect you with a small group. You can check out our starting point and have an opportunity to be honest about the doubts that you have. God is not afraid of your doubts. I am not afraid of your doubts. I am not going to condemn you or speak ill of you if you have doubts. I am simply going to say, welcome to the club. Let's start walking together. I would urge you, right here, right now, to take out that card, put your name on it, and let us know. Father God, in a room like this, I know that there are people struggling with doubt. I am sure. So I pray that you'd help us to learn from this this incredible story of Abraham and Sarah. The end result is that Hebrews tells us that they lived this life of incredible faith. But I, I can't read their story and miss the fact that along the way they questioned you. And I love how you stuck with them. God, I pray for any in the room right now who are, who are questioning and just wondering, and that's fine, and I pray, God, that you would show them through, through a conversation today. I pray that someone would, would, would just latch onto them and say, hey, How are you doing? I pray that in some way, some form, you would show them that you see them and that you're not going to leave them alone and that they don't have to figure this out on their own. Pray that we'd be able to see you sustain us through our doubts. I ask in Jesus' name.